Hey, it's Alexis Asadi, and welcome to episode 29 of Income Investing, a show that explores different investments that produce income and or dividends. Today, we're going to continue along with our exploration of investment funds. As we've seen from the prior episodes, this is a vast industry that can be a reliable producer of dividends, income, and cash distributions. So the topic of our discussion right now will be a type of investment fund called a real estate fund. This is widely available across the U.S. and Canada, as well as internationally. Please remember to subscribe to the Income Investing Podcast. And if you have a moment, I'd also be grateful if you could help me spread the word by telling a friend about it. As I like to point out every week, income investments can have several important benefits that probably everyone should know about like the fact that you can use the dividends to supplement your regular employment income. For example, even if you're earning just $50 a month from your portfolio, you can use that to offset expenses like your phone bill. A lot of people who invest in this fashion have an end goal of reaching financial freedom, which is where you're making more from your income from your investments than what you actually have in expenses. Further, income investments can also go up in value. For instance, we've seen in the past few weeks that investment funds can fluctuate in price. So because of that, you can earn both monthly cash flow and sell it for a capital gain. It's almost like getting the best of both worlds. We've also seen that investment funds are just one example of income-producing assets that can trade on the stock market. So you can invest in a lot of them from the comfort of your home, just by using an online brokerage account. You can get started with under a few hundred dollars. And one of the best advantages of income investments is that they exist almost everywhere, including across real estate, financial services, natural resources, energy, and utilities. They also exist off the stock market, so you can build a very well-diversified portfolio that also pays multiple streams of revenue. So we began this podcast with real estate investment trusts, or REITs, and then we moved on to mortgage lending. But since our 23rd episode, we've been discussing investment funds. As we now know, these are businesses that pool money from investors and deploy it into various securities like stocks, bonds, private equity, venture capital deals, and so forth. The goal is to generate a financial return for the shareholders or the unit holders of the fund and it also allows investors to rely on an experienced professional. For instance, if you'd like exposure to mortgages, then you could invest in a mortgage fund if you don't want to or know how to directly invest in mortgages yourself. In episode 24, we talked about the way that investment funds are structured. We discussed entities like corporations and trusts and limited partnerships. It's a bit more of a technical episode. There, we also saw that funds usually have specific mandates or objectives, such as providing their investors with income or growth or capital preservation, etc. The 25th episode explored a concept known as classes or series. We looked at the differences between class A and class B and class C shares and why all of that should matter to investors. The following week, we covered the mechanics of how funds work and how investors can ultimately make money with them. For example, there we answered questions like, why do some funds pay dividends each month, while others do so quarterly, while other funds never pay dividends at all? In episode 26, we talked about mortgage funds, which are a very popular income investment. 
we saw that they either lend money directly to borrowers or they invest in mortgages indirectly through the debt markets. And last week, we sort of piggybacked on that show and explored how the US and Canadian governments boost their mortgage markets through entities like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the Canada Housing Trust. So today we're going to continue down the real estate path by talking about real estate funds. But before we go any further, let's quickly address a couple of questions from our listeners. I always encourage you to reach out to me at alexisasadi.net slash podcast. You can just scroll down towards the bottom of the page, and there's going to be a box where you can type in your question or your comment. This is actually super important for me because it gives me an idea of what people want to hear about. Our first question comes from Sammy, who's in Brooklyn, New York. He pointed out that the United States Supreme Court has gained a lot of media attention in the past month with the current nomination process. So Sammy wanted to know whether following matters like these is important for investors in general, and income investors in particular, or if this is more of a concern for those who care about social issues. So Sammy, thanks for your question. And by the way, I love New York. I lived and I worked there for a little while in my 20s, and I have lots of family there and I visit every year. But yes, paying attention to the Supreme Court and the current nomination process is important for a lot of different reasons. As you mentioned, many of those reasons are social. But I always tell people to follow the news because investing is really just a function of following what's going on in the world and making financial decisions based on your understanding and interpretations of it. So for that reason, following the news can be helpful. But the Supreme Court can definitely affect investors directly. For example, in May this year, it struck down a law from 1992 that banned commercial sports betting, and this opened the way for $150 billion of annual sports bets to be placed legally instead of on the black market. So right away, gaming and online gambling stocks skyrocketed, but they're also widely expected to benefit in the long term. There are at least a couple of big Supreme Court decisions every year in the US that affect businesses and, by extension, their investors. Now, I wouldn't say that following the Supreme Court is any more important for income-oriented investors. I guess it could impact profitability, which might be reflected in dividend distributions. But at the end of the day, if you're serious about investing, then yes, you should be following important legal cases, which includes the Supreme Court and its nomination process and other developments in the news and around the world. Now, I try to do that a little bit in this podcast, but because we're limited in time, I prefer to focus on things that might directly impact income investors. Okay, so I also have a question from Kirk, who's also in the US. Kirk wanted to know if I could begin covering ETFs, also known as exchange-traded funds, that have a long history of paying and increasing their dividend payments. So Kirk, I was actually going to get to ETFs a bit later on in this segment, uh, because it obviously falls under investment funds. But I'm going to shuffle things around and begin the subject as soon as we finish real estate funds. You're actually not the first person who's asked me this, so I definitely hear you loud and clear. All right, so what is a real estate fund? Well, a real estate fund is an investment fund that obviously finances real estate. In most cases, it'll be in the business of owning, managing, leasing, developing, or selling properties, as opposed to being a mortgage lender. So they tend to participate in the equity side of property, as opposed to the debt side. So there are generally two types of real estate funds, ones that invest in real estate businesses, and ones that invest directly into real estate. 
The former will typically invest in publicly traded real estate companies like real estate investment trusts and real estate builders and developers and operators and even brokerages like Remax. These funds buy the securities of those businesses and aim to earn income and an appreciation of their capital. The fund managers are money managers as opposed to being real estate professionals in the traditional sense of the word. One example is the CIBC Canadian Real Estate Fund. This is a $42 million fund that's been around since 1997, and it's provided investors with an average annual return of around 7%. Now, of the fund's top 10 holdings, eight of them are REITs. The other two are major commercial real estate developers. One of them is First Capital Realty, which is a big Canadian firm, and the other is Brookfield Property Partners, which is a massive firm that does business across North America, Europe, and Australia. Now, the CIBC Canadian Real Estate Fund does earn a fair amount of revenue from its holdings. However, it's intended to be a growth fund, so investors generally look to it for capital gains. And for that reason, it only distributes cash to them once every year. Another example is the RMR Real Estate Income Fund, an American company that trades on the New York Stock Exchange. This is a $336 million fund, with all of its top 10 holdings being REITs. Its biggest investment is in Simon Property Group, a firm that we talked about way back in the second ever episode of this podcast. While RMR's holdings are similar to CIBC's, it pays its income to investors quarterly. One property fund, among many others, that pays out monthly is called the Dynamic Real Estate and Infrastructure Fund, a $260 million firm. It invests into French construction companies, Spanish transportation infrastructure operators, and Canadian REITs, along with dozens of other businesses. Other examples in North America can include First Asset REIT Income Fund, Nuveen Real Estate Income Fund, and CBRE Clarion Global Real Estate Income Fund. If you're in the UK, one example is Real Estate Investors PLC. So investors can benefit from funds like these if they want exposure to real estate companies. They might want a blend of revenue from rent, property sales, management fees, realty commissions, and advisory services, and all of the other components that exist in this industry. Conversely, you can also invest in funds that directly finance property deals. These are similar to REITs in that they own a portfolio of real estate, except that they have a different legal structure. You'll recall that for tax purposes, REITs have to pay out most of their net earnings to investors, and for that reason, they generally don't reinvest their profits into additional real estate. But a real estate fund, on the other hand, might go years operating its portfolio before paying investors anything. It really depends on its mandate and investment strategy rather than what the law requires. Also, REITs usually have a lot more debt than real estate funds. For example, there's the Landmark Infrastructure Partners LP, which trades on the NASDAQ. This fund buys land, either raw or developed, and then it leases it to wireless communication, outdoor advertising, and renewable power generation companies. So Landmark's tenants pay rent in order to operate things like billboards, cellular towers, and wind turbines. Landmark has around 200 properties and it pays investors on a quarterly basis. Another fund called Stonemore owns and operates a very different kind of real estate, consisting of 400 cemeteries and funeral homes. There are also plenty of private real estate funds, firms that invest directly in properties, but that don't trade on the stock market. These are usually made available through investment dealers and brokers. 
Now, real estate funds will require at least two levels of due diligence. The first is on the fund level, like understanding its mandate, structure, investment strategy, and your rights and limitations as a shareholder or unit holder. For instance, the classic structure for a private real estate fund is as a limited partnership, or LP. The investors will own LP units in the fund, while the real estate is managed by the general partner. The second level of due diligence should take place on the real estate itself. As we saw from episodes 2 through 8, not all properties are created equally. Some tend to perform well when the economy is hot, while others do better when it's cooling down. And others, like traditional commercial real estate, is being challenged by e-commerce companies like Amazon. So with that in mind, here are three questions that income investors might ask before investing in a real estate fund. Number one, what types of properties does the fund invest in, either directly or indirectly? So as I just mentioned, this matters because you'll want to make sure that you're getting involved in the right real estate for the economy. But more specifically for income investors, it'll also help you assess how viable the opportunity is from a cash flow perspective. If the fund finances a lot of land development projects and construction deals, then it may take a while before you can earn any income from it. However, if the fund only invests in revenue properties like residential real estate, then it's probably more conducive to paying cash flow. Number two, does the fund simply buy properties and run them, or does it perform large-scale renovations and upgrades? The latter can add value to real estate, but it can also soak up short-term income that could otherwise be paid to investors. Obviously, this question is probably more relevant to funds that invest directly in real estate rather than in real estate businesses. And number three, where geographically does the fund invest? The value of real estate is largely influenced by the size of the local population. The more people there are, the greater need there will be for shelter. That's why properties in big cities are the most expensive in the world. Many real estate funds will specifically invest in or avoid certain areas, so you should know where these are. Now, despite the many advantages of investment funds, real estate funds lack one major benefit of direct property investing. Investors don't have title to the land, and they therefore can't borrow against it. As you already know, shareholders and unit holders own the fund, but the fund itself owns the properties that it invests in. However, real estate can be a powerful asset because you can borrow against it. A lot of people make their money in real estate by buying properties, adding value to them, refinancing them, and then buying additional properties with the equity that they can pull out. A fund, unfortunately, won't give you those same options. The bank is probably not going to lend money against your shares, but it would against your property. For that reason, you should view real estate and real estate funds as what they are. Two different types of assets with different sets of pros and cons. It would be incorrect to conflate them as effectively the same investment. Next Wednesday, we're going to look at projects that raise money from investors to finance a single real estate deal. For example, a company might raise $10 million to build an apartment building. This isn't technically an investment fund, but I think it makes sense to discuss it now. This will be especially useful if you're thinking about getting involved in any private placement deals. As well, it would be amazing if you can share this podcast with a friend. Maybe post a link on Facebook or tell someone about it. We are barely six months old, and this podcast is growing very quickly. And it's all because of people like you who are helping spread the word. Otherwise, thanks for hanging out with me. I look forward to talking to you next week.